Let's uh, read the Scriptures together. If you would turn in your Bibles, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read the first three verses and then from verse 9 to verse 16. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 to 3, and then 9 to 16. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. And then down to verse 9. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all of you believers. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Therefore, we never stop thanking God that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who, because of their belief in Christ Jesus, suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews killed the prophets, and some even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They fail to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins. But the anger of God has caught up with them at last. Amen. And may the Lord seal his own word to our hearts. We'll come to think about that word in a little while. Let's bow together and pray for the needs of people and the needs of our world. It's our privilege to be intercessors and to bring the needs of others before the Lord. So let's uh, join together in prayer. How lovely it is to be able to sing again in church. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Theme of the message for today, what to do when you're going through the mill. In 2004, September 2004, 
I participated in the council meeting, the annual council meeting of the European Baptist Federation, and it was held in Beirut, Lebanon. One thing that you couldn't help avoid noticing as you traveled through Beirut were the scars on all the buildings as a result of the civil war, 10 years or more, (coughs) civil war that tore apart Lebanon in the 1980s. And the buildings were pockmarked and scarred, and some buildings had never been rebuilt. It was during that time, in October 1983, that the U.S. Marine base in Beirut was bombed, and many U.S. servicemen were killed. One soldier was flown home, critically wounded in that explosion. And uh, he was a mass of tubes and wires, uh, were all attached to his body and covered in bandages. And when the commandant of the Marine Corps visited him in hospital back in the States, the young soldier signaled he wanted to write something. And with tremendous effort, he wrote on a piece of paper two words, Semper Fidelis. Semper Fidelis is the motto of the Marine Corps, and the Latin translates as always faithful, always faithful. Now, when the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, he was speaking to men and women who had gone through the mill of human suffering. In chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. As he reflected on his own personal ministry in 1 Thessalonians 2.2, he said, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of opposition. Suffering, you see, was not an unfamiliar experience to the Apostle Paul. In fact, he lists it out in 2 Corinthians 11 and 24. He says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the Gentiles. I've faced dangers in cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I've worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless lights. I've been hungry and thirsty, and I've often gone without food. I've shivered with cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. You know, there's adventures galore behind all that Paul says there. Incredible experiences, enough to fill books of adventure stories for boys and girls. What amazes me are the people in our society today who say, ah, becoming a Christian, that's the easy option in life. Becoming a Christian, that's just boring. Becoming a Christian, 
It's running away from life's problems. How ridiculous to say things like that and how totally opposite to the truth. Paul went through the mill of suffering, but his life was an inspiration. Semper Fidelis, always faithful. That could have been written over Paul's life and ministry, and it could have been written over the life and ministry of the Christian believers in the church at Thessalonica. They were faithful to Christ in spite of suffering, opposition, and persecution. These things, Paul says, are a normal part of Christian life. In 2 Timothy 3.12, he says to young Timothy, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And what sustains us at such times are the following things that enable us to live, as Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 2, lives that in a way that God considers worthy so that we can be always faithful. What are these things that help us to live life, lives that God considers worthy? First of all, we are to let the Word of God empower us. <clears throat> Verse 13, Therefore we never stop thanking God that when you received the message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very Word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. So like those early believers in Thessalonica, we need to first of all accept the word eagerly. They recognized God's word for what it is, a personal message from the living God to meet them at their very point of need. Hebrews 1.1 reminds us that long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he's spoken to us through his Son, the living Word, the Word incarnate. And we have the living Word before us in this book, the truth of Jesus. Not only were they convinced intellectually that the gospel is the truth of God, they were convinced experientially that the gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. The lives of these Christians in this city of Thessalonica had been radically changed by the power of God's Word. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says, when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And in chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Because you received it, you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. So when persecution broke out with fearful intensity, these believers stood firm, and they refused to be broken because their faith was firmly rooted in God's Word. They welcomed God's Word into their lives, and it had taken hold of them. They loved it. They studied it. The more they got hold of the Word, the more the Word got hold of them. It equipped them. It enabled them to endure through the most difficult of times. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us all Scripture, all of it, 
Everything in this book is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, my dear brothers and sisters, do you eagerly welcome this word into your life day and daily? Do you try to get a grip on God's word in your life? And does God's word get a grip of you? Are you eager to know its truth, to discover its truth? If you are, then getting this word into your life and letting this word grip you will help to sustain you when you go through times of difficulty and trial. A Bible distributor called Michael Billister visited a small hamlet in Poland just before the outbreak of World War II, and he gave a Bible to a visitor who was converted through reading it. He then passed the Bible on to others. And when Billister returned at the end of the war to that village in Poland, he found 200 people who had become Christians through reading that one Polish Bible. That's the power of God's Word. The gospel they received eagerly into their hearts, and it helped them to endure the dark, oppressive years of Nazi occupation and terror. We don't only need to accept the word eagerly, we must apply the word practically. Paul says, when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And this word continues to work in you who believe. They knew God's word was at work in their hearts and lives. They knew the difference the gospel had made to them. Once their lives had been trapped in the darkness of superstition and fear, their, their lives had been defiled by immorality and the filth associated with pagan worship. But when they received God's word and they applied its truth to their lives, an amazing transformation took place within them. Their faith wasn't something that was cerebral. It was also practical. God's word was at work in their lives. It changed them. You may have heard the story of the little girl that was sitting a Bible exam. And one of the questions she was asked was, with what books does the Bible begin and end? And this was the answer she wrote. The Bible begins with Genesis and ends with revolutions. Was she right or was she right? Of course she was right. The application of God's Word is revolutionary. And every day, those believers in this city of Thessalonica faced situations that brought them new challenges to their faith. They suffered directly through physical abuse, through imprisonment, even martyrdom for the cause of Christ. 
They also suffered indirectly, losing their jobs, being unable to provide for their families, sometimes being thrown out of their families and rejected by unbelieving parents or partners. But as they applied God's Word in their lives, they became a powerful witness for Jesus. My dear brothers and sisters, what about you? What about me? Are our lives a powerful and challenging witness for Jesus? Do people see that our lives have been changed because of God's Word? Do we confront the world or do we conform to the world? Is God's Word powerfully at work in our lives? As James 1.22 says, don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. So you accept the Word of God eagerly, and you apply the Word of God practically in your lives, and that will help strengthen you for those times when in your life you're going through the mill. Secondly, Paul says, let the people of God encourage you. Not let, just let the Word of God empower you, but let the people of God encourage you. Verse 14, you imitated the believers in God's churches in Judea, who because of their belief in Christ Jesus suffered from their own people, the Jews. As these believers went through the mill of suffering, they were encouraged to know that their situation was not unique. Other believers were suffering in the same way, especially those in Judea. The churches in that New Testament world were united together in the bonds of suffering. 1 Peter 5, 9 says, Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Their willingness to suffer for Jesus was proof of their discipleship and fellowship in Christ. But behind that suffering was the age-old struggle between God and Satan, between good and evil. Satan trying to destroy the faith of believers and to eliminate the church. And Satan's never short of people he can use to fulfill, to try to fulfill that particular purpose through obstruction and opposition and disruption and persecution. But in chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul says of these who are instruments of Satan, who, who stand and who make life almost impossible for the Christian through their opposition and their actions. He says, they fail to please God and work against all humanity as they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles. By doing this, he said, they continue to pile up their sins, but the anger of God catches up with them at last. And the anger of God will always catch up to confront those who are the cause of suffering to God's people and those who are being an obstacle to God's church and the work of the gospel in the world. Jesus said, I'll build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. 
So when we're going through the mill, let's be encouraged by the faithfulness of other Christians, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world who are always faithful, semper fidelis, always faithful in the times of trial. We're not the only ones going through trial. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, the temptations in your life are no different to what others experience. And God's faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. That's tremendously encouraging. We're not the first to face our trial, and we'll not be the last. And we can overcome if we keep a firm hold onto Jesus Christ, the one who overcome, who overcame. Revelation 12, 11, we can defeat him by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. So even although it appears that the cause of Satan is prevailing within our world today, even making life difficult for us day by day, we must remember this battle isn't over till it's over. It's not over till it's over. The jockey Tony Charlton crossed the finishing line at Exeter 20 lengths ahead of the field and one length ahead of his horse, almost at the finishing line, thinking victory was in his grasp. Charlton's horse stumbled and fell, and he was catapulted across the finishing line. Well, it doesn't matter what opposition we are going to experience. If we are trusting in the Lord Jesus, we'll get catapulted across the finishing line so that we can stand before him and hear his well done, good and faithful servant. With God's help, as Psalm 60 verse 12 says, with God's help we'll do mighty things, for he will trample down our foes. Thirdly and finally, we are to let the example of Christ inspire us. Yes, we've got the empowering of the Word, and we have the encouragement of other Christians and churches who are going through suffering to sustain us as we go through the mill. But supremely, we have the example of the Lord Jesus. Paul reminds the Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 15, some even killed the Lord Jesus. The Lord himself endured suffering in his life and ministry. Romans 8.32 says, God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. The Lord Jesus embraced the cross with its rejection and pain and suffering and death. He knew it was necessary so that you and I could be saved. And so he, he said, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And after that, he said, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things, be killed, 
but on the third day would be raised from the dead. Satan threw everything he had in his armory against the Lord Jesus. Yet even in the midst of all of that suffering, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive these people because they don't know what they're doing. So are you going through the mill of suffering and affliction in your life this morning? Well, the Apostle Peter says to us in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So when we're going through the mill of suffering, what can we do? First of all, we can let the word of God empower us, accepting it into our hearts gladly and applying it in our lives. We can let the example of other believers' faithfulness encourage us to remain faithful. And we can be inspired by the example of the Lord Jesus himself, who endured all that suffering on our behalf. So, as you pass through times of testing, may it be able to be said of you what that injured serviceman, the marine, said to his commandant, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. May we always be faithful through all the suffering. Amen, and may God bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for your living word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to apply its truth into our hearts and lives today. We bless you for your faithfulness to us. Grant us courage, grace, and strength to be faithful in our service for you. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way.